our Father and our God. Blessed be to thy holy name. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the morning. We thank you for the light. You've given us all the things richly to enjoy. We thank you for all the wonderful things you have in store for those that love you. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we study your word, may we continue to see light in them as we are chatting our calls in this world that is full of darkness. May we see clear instructions on how to walk, O oh Lord, and we pray you help us that we may live by every word that cometh forth out of thy mouth. This is our prayer to Christ our Lord. Amen. Our High Calling September 8 Guard your affections. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 I would warn you to be guarded as to where you bestow your affections. Remember that your life belongs to Jesus and that you are not to live for yourself alone. You are not to enter into the marriage relation with an unbeliever, for in so doing, you do exactly contrary to that which Jesus has commanded. Shun those who are irreverent. Shun one who is a lover of idleness. Shun the one who is a scoffer of hallowed things. Avoid the society of one who uses profane language or is addicted to the use of even one glass of liquor. Listen not to the proposals of a man who has no realization of his responsibility to God. The pure truth which sanctifies the soul will give you courage to cut yourself loose from the most pleasing acquaintance whom you know does not love and fear God and knows nothing of the principles of true righteousness. We may always bear with a friend's infirmities and with his ignorance, but never with his vices. Never marry an unbeliever. I am only voicing to you the word of God, for he declares that such a union will result in drawing away your heart from loving and serving him. As a child of God, you are permitted to contract marriage only in the Lord. Should you consent to unite your life with that of an unbeliever, you would be disregarding the word of God and imperiling your soul. Your life is too precious a thing to be treated as of little worth. Calvary testifies to you the value of your soul. Let every step toward a marriage alliance be characterized by modesty, simplicity, sincerity, and an earnest purpose to please and honor God. Marriage affects the afterlife, both in this world and in the world to come. A sincere Christian will make no plans that God cannot approve. Make Christ your counselor. Study his word with prayer. Amen. The title of our devotion is Guard Your Affections. For the past two days, we have been looking at the topic of how to keep our spiritual and religious life pure, growing into the image of Jesus. I would like to remind us that we saw a formula which I would like to repeat for us in our high calling that should be page 255 paragraph 3. The purity and soundness of our religious life is dependent not only on the truth we accept but on the company we keep and the moral atmosphere we breathe. 
three things that our purity and soundness of spiritual life depends on. One, the truth you have accepted. Two, the company you keep. And three, your environment, which is your moral atmosphere. When any one of them is not there, everything fails. You have the wrong company, even though you have the truth and a good moral atmosphere. You will not have a sound, spiritual, and pure life. Have the right company and accept the truth. If your moral atmosphere and the environment is charging you and suggesting a lot of evil to you, you will not grow, even though you are praying and studying your Bible. And if you don't have the truth, but you have a good atmosphere and then good company, and the company does not know the truth themselves, then how can you have a sound spiritual life? We must look into these three things. Accept the truth as it is in the word of God, but that's not enough. Ensure that you spend your money and your resources towards placing yourself in a location that will encourage pure holy thoughts and then the company you keep very very important perhaps i would say most important arguably the most important of them so let us look at it we've been looking at it since yesterday and i want to remind us in just choosing a friend we were told now high calling page 256 paragraph 3 your associates this is just friend now not not a companion for marriage and we're going to look at marriage today just a friend you are told your associates may not be expected to be free from imperfections of sin but in choosing your friends not wife or husband friends which is lower than a wife or husband you should place your standard as high as possible the tone of your morals is estimated by the associates you choose. You should avoid contracting an intimate friendship with those whose example you would not choose to imitate. End of quote. If your morals is affected by the associates, friends that you choose, how much more the wife or the husband you choose? And that is why, for friends, we are told, place the standard as high as possible. Therefore, the same thing goes when you are choosing a spouse. Place the standard as high as possible. Hopefully, we'll talk about that tomorrow. But today, our key text is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. That says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And the warning that God wants to give to us, do not marry an unbeliever. But of course, the question is, who is an unbeliever? Some of us would say, oh, an unbeliever is somebody that does not go to my church. Somebody does not believe the same thing I believe. Is that how to define an unbeliever? Is it relative? An unbeliever is simply one who is not willing and ready to follow a plain thought, said the Lord. How do you know an unbeliever? Give to them the word of God. And if you see them revolting against it, that is an unbeliever for you. It's as simple as that. When you see a simple thought, says the Lord, no matter what it is, saying this is what you should do. And the person is saying, I prefer to do it this way or I don't like the way the word of God has said. Or no matter what it is, in any of the reforms, especially in, as we come to the last days, as we are entering into the close of probation, we who are living in these last days, we know Revelation chapter 14 talks about two sets of people, believers and unbelievers. And the believers are described in Revelation 14 verse 12 as those who are the saints that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, while the unbelievers are those who are described as those who receive the mark of the beast. But we are talking of the believers now. They keep the commandments of God. They are not struggling, I would say now, or keeping some of it. They may be struggling to keep it, but they are not in 
opposition to the commandments of God. They know it and they are doing all they can to keep it. They are not revolting. They are not picking and choosing and saying, I will follow this one while I will not follow this one. They are not saying the law has been nailed to the cross. And they are detailed in the commandments of God. They are not surface readers. They are not superficial Christians. It is not about the church you are attending. And a believer is not somebody who attends your church or who believes the same thing you believe because you can also be an unbeliever. So if you judge an unbeliever by saying, oh, the person who doesn't believe what I believe is an unbeliever. Well, maybe in your own context because based on who you are worshipping or what you believe, yes, the person can be an unbeliever to you. But if you are a child of God, based on the context of the word of God, an unbeliever is not necessarily someone who doesn't believe what I believe. It is someone who doesn't follow a plain thus saith the Lord. That is who an unbeliever is and you can find them in your family, in your church too. If you say an unbeliever is someone who doesn't attend the same church with me and a believer is someone who attends my church, oh, if I were Satan, I would just start attending your church. So I've qualified as a believer and then I will wreck your life by getting married to you. Or I would, like Satan, of course, will send his children to your church. Since they are now in your church, they are now believers, right? They've baptized, therefore they are now believers. Go ahead, marry. And then your life will be a miserable wreck. What are the consequences of marrying unbelievers? Why is God so particular? You'll find out today that this world's woes and troubles is because of children of God getting married to unbelievers. I repeat, the world's woes and troubles that we find around us can be traced to this one thing just this thing children of god getting married to unbelievers now let us go adventist home page 63 paragraph 1 and 2 says god forbids believers marrying unbelievers never should god's people venture upon forbidden ground marriage between believers and unbelievers is forbidden by god but too often the unconverted heart follows its own desires and marriages unsanctioned by god are formed because of this, men and women are without hope. Do you see the consequence? I take it again. Because of this, men and women are without hope and without God in the world. Their noble aspirations are dead by a chain of circumstances. They are held in Satan's net. Those who are ruled by passion and impulse will have a bitter harvest to reap in this life, and their course may result in the loss of their souls. Those who profess the truth trample on the will of God in marrying unbelievers. What else is the consequence? They lose his favor and make bitter work for repentance. The unbelieving may possess an excellent moral character. But the fact that he or she has not answered to the claims of God and has neglected so great salvation is sufficient reason why such a union should not be consummated. The character of the unbelieving may be similar to, the, to that of the young man to whom Jesus addressed the words, One thing, not twenty things, not five things, One thing thou lackest. That was the one thing needful. End of quote. What are the consequences of marrying unbelievers? Clearly stated here. By marrying unbelievers, some people, men and women, are presently without hope and without God. And forever, their whole religious life gone, eternal life sacrificed on the altar of marriage. We read in our devotion the last paragraph of it, Boys from the book Ministry of Healing, page 359. Marriage affects the afterlife both in this world and in the world to come. A sincere Christian will make no plans that God cannot approve. Marriage affects the afterlife. It, de it determines your eternal destiny. That's why you shouldn't play with this issue and look at it as a light matter. It is a sin to marry an unbeliever because God commanded that we should not do it. In the book Deuteronomy 7, 
Verse 2 it says, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. God explicitly commanded here that we shouldn't do that. What has been the consequences from eternal ages past? Since the creation of this world, what has been the consequence of believers marrying unbelievers? Let's go to the beginning. In the book of Genesis chapter 6, God said something there that we need to take note of. The sons of God getting married to the daughters of men. And who are the sons of God? Who is the son of God being referred to? When you look at Genesis 5, it talks about God creating Adam. And then all the lineage from Adam down to Noah is written down. And then Genesis 6 from verse 1 says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Who are these sons of God? Luke chapter 3 verse 38 tells us who the Son of God is and the sons of God were. When given the lineage of Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 3, from Jesus to Joseph and down to Joseph's father and Joseph's father's father, down, going down to Solomon and David and then down to Obed and going down to Judah and to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham, to Noah and down to Adam. Then it says in verse 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. The son of God, Adam. So in Genesis chapter 6 verse 1 and 2, the sons of God being referred to here are the sons of Adam, Adam's children, those that believed in God. If you look at the book of Genesis 6, talking about the life of Seth and down to Enoch, the Bible says in the days of Enoch, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So this lineage of Adam were the sons of God and that's why we are also called children of God, sons of God. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Genesis 4 verse 26 talking about the birth of Seth. It says, And to Seth, to him also was born a son. And he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. This Seth's lineage, the children of Seth, down to Enos and Mahaliel and uh, Jared and all Noah, Enoch, Methuselah, all of them, they are the ones who are called the sons of God because they were the ones calling on the name of the Lord. But something happened. Something happened as we just read. The Lord singled it out as the root of the problem of the antediluvians, that's those who lived before the flood. Genesis 6 verse 1, God said in verse 2 that these sons of God, the children of Seth, separate from the children of Cain who was the wicked one. Children of Seth were the children of God, sons of God. And they were living differently. If you read the book of Genesis 4, Cain left Adam's place, went to find another place for himself, built a city there for himself and was living separate from Adam's people, Seth's people. Now these sons of God saw the daughters of men, which is Cain's daughters, Cain's lineage, and the women in Cain's lineage, and they were beautiful. And then they married them. What was the consequence? Verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Verse 12. 
and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way before the earth. Verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God was not pleased to make this statement to my brothers and sisters. But what was the cause of this? The sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were fair. And all flesh became corrupted. Remember what we read in Deuteronomy 7 verse 2 and 3. God warns them, don't marry daughters of the heathen. And don't marry sons who are unbelievers. Don't give your daughters to them. Why? They will turn you from serving me. That's what he said. Why? It has happened before and it has continued to happen till today. People, unbelievers are marrying believers and then people are being corrupted. Abraham and many others in the Bible, let us look at their example. But Abraham had this example where he married Hagar and the result was not good. And that is why in choosing a wife for Isaac, he was very careful. I'm reading now from the book Patriarchs and Prophets from page 173 down to 175. There it says, Abraham had marked the result of the intermarriage of those who feared God and those who feared him not. From the days of Cain to his own time. The consequences of his own marriage with Hagar and of the marriage connections of Ishmael and Lot were before him. The lack of faith on part of Abraham and Sarah had resulted in the birth of Ishmael, the mingling of the righteous seed with the ungodly. The father's influence upon his son, that's Ishmael, was counteracted by that of the mother's idolatrous kindred and by Ishmael's connection with hidden wives. The jealousy of Hagar and of the wives whom she chose for Ishmael surrounded his family with a barrier that Abraham endeavored in vain to overcome. Abraham's early teachings had not been without effect upon Ishmael, but the influence of his wives resulted in establishing idolatry in his family. Separated from his father and embittered by the strife and contention of a home destitute of the love and fear of God, Ishmael was driven to choose the wild marauding life of the desert chief, his hand against every man and every man's hand against him. Genesis 16 verse 12. In his latter days, he repented of his evil ways and, in, and returned to his father's God. But the stamp of character given to his posterity remained. The powerful nation descended from him were a turbulent hidden people who were ever an annoyance and affliction to the descendants of Isaac. The wife of Lot was a selfish, irreligious woman, and her influence was exerted to separate her husband from Abraham. But for her, Lot would not have remained in Sodom, deprived of the counsel of the wise, God-fearing patriarch. The influence of his wife and the associations of that wicked city would have led him to apostatize from God had it not been for the faithful instruction he had early received from Abraham. The marriage of Lot and his choice of Sodom for a home were the first links in a chain of events fraught with evil to the world for many generations. End of quote. So here, we see the example of three different people. The sons of God, the people lived before the flood. Abraham saw what happened to them. And then he looked at his own life, what had happened to him because of marrying an unbeliever. And then he looked at Ishmael. All the teaching that Abraham gave to Ishmael, Ishmael found it difficult to practice. Why? His family, his wife. And then he looked at Lot. All he taught Lot, Lot it didn't benefit him much. He lost everything. Why? Wife. Abraham was wise. He had seen that it is not enough to accept the truth. He saw that it is not enough even to be in the right atmosphere. Because the antediluvians, those before the flood, had the truth and they were in the right atmosphere. But he traced it down and saw that it was the marriage with Cain's daughters that caused the problem. He looked at his life. Hagar. 
he saw the problem he looked at ishmael's life he saw the problem he looked at lot's wife life it was all about the wives they married and that was why in the marriage of isaac he became very strict he set the standard as high as possible and told his servant eliaza don't bring any wife for my son from around this community let my son never marry any hidden instead let him die as a single person though he didn't say it exactly that way but that was what he meant he said go to my own kindred and if the woman you find there does not agree to come back don't take my son to that place if she's not coming here don't take him there we'll talk about that tomorrow but this is what made abraham set his standard so high are you setting your standard as high as that marriage with unbelievers will destroy you marrying someone who does not believe a thought says the lord even one one thing he lacks or one thing she lacks that one thing will destroy you abraham knew it and that was why he became strict are you going to become strict in the choice of your spouse how about solomon very godly man in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, let us look at how Solomon's life was. Verse 3, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon the altar. How many? One thousand. To show how much Solomon loved God. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. You know the story, Solomon asked for wisdom. Verse 11, And God said unto him, Because thou asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast thou asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to descend judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any rise like unto thee. Of course, the Lord blessed him a lot, but he gave him a condition in verse 14. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Solomon loved the Lord, godly man. Solomon was not just a wise person, he was a godly person too, highly spiritual person. But what happens to Solomon? 1 Kings 11 from verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Some of us will read it as we will turn their hearts to God by marrying them. You are deceiving yourself. They will turn your heart away from God as they did Solomon. Are you wiser than Solomon? Are you more spiritual than Ishmael and Abraham? Are you more spiritual and competent than the men who lived before the flood? Why are you allowing the devil to deceive you, telling you that you can marry that lady or that man and then you will convert him? Or he, he doesn't have all things wrong. She doesn't have all things wrong. It's just a few things, you know. He has some vices, yes. He doesn't believe this and believe that, but he's still okay. You are deceiving yourself. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? 1 Kings 11 verse 4 says, for it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And in summary, 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 6, Solomon did evil in verse 6 in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. And then verse 9 says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this particular thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. I'll stop there. What was it that happened to Solomon? 
when he was old when he was younger he was marrying these women and he had his wisdom with him they did not turn him away from god but with every woman he married he would check himself and say ah they've not turned me away from god yet so it's not really dangerous to marry these women and some of us are looking at our parents we are pointing to families and saying look at this man he he married my mother when she was not a believer but look at the family they are good now and you point at another person and say oh look at that person they were unbelievers the man was a believer the woman was not but the woman is strong in church now and then you look at another woman see her she married a man that was an unbeliever and the man is now strong in church well done that was how it happened to solomon he first of all married pharaoh's daughter and guess what pharaoh's daughter got converted she became a believer in god following after god but do you know what it did to solomon after he married pharaoh's daughter 1 kings 11 verse 1 because she got converted that was his deception and that is your own deception now as you are pointing to your mother or your father or that brother or sister who's who married an unbeliever that got converted that was what Sol- that was what deceived solomon because pharaoh's daughter got converted he stopped to see it as a bad thing ah if pharaoh's daughter got converted then i can also convert the moabite and the ammonite and the hittite and the jebusite and he kept on marrying all these women they followed him yes the bible says but when solomon was old not when he was young when he was old these women made him to worship other gods if it were not for the women it may not have been they themselves that just urged him but being acquainted with the hidden ways solomon started to worship other gods be very careful when you are pointing to that family to that elder to that pastor saying oh they married unbelievers and then it's well with them be very careful that is your deception what shall it profit a man matthew chapter 16 reading from verse 24 to 26 then jesus said unto his disciples if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take off his cross and follow me for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it for what shall a man be profited if he shall gain marriage gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul many of us are giving our soul on the altar of marriage we are exchanging our soul for marriage flimsy marriage that will perish here on this earth i hope you know that in heaven there is no marriage you are exchanging your soul and sacrificing it on the altar of marriage what should you do do not do that what shall you shall it profit you to do that the lord is speaking to you today saying come out from among them be separate touch not the unclean thing do not give yourself oh young lady especially ladies who you think that your life is nothing without marriage are you going to sacrifice it on the altar of marriage the young man is coming to you and saying he wants to marry you and you can see clearly that he is not a believer one thing he lacks yet you still want to marry him why you are sacrificing your eternal destiny on the altar of marriage thinking that you will continue and some will say oh i don't believe these things anymore why because you want to get married and you say oh he has baptized baptism has it changed him has it changed her and then you are getting married now what the lord wants us to do is to see see things the way he sees it feel how he feels understand things the way he understands it some of us look at this issue of marrying unbelievers as a very light thing but that was not how god saw it that's not how he sees it now and true men of god have never seen it that way to feel things and understand it the way god understands it ezra understood that in the book of ezra 9 reading from verse 2 i want you to see how ezra reacted because he 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 could understand and feel what god feels when he heard about marriage with unbelievers and by the way as you listen to these things please don't be disheartened we'll talk about how to deal with it perhaps you have married an unbeliever don't be disheartened we'll talk about how to deal with that ezra 9 reading from verse 2 it says for they have taken their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands yea the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass and when i that's ezra and when i heard this thing i rent my garment and my mantle 
and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished. Then we assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the, of the God of Israel because of the transgression, see, transgression, of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. Do you tremble at the word of God? Those who tremble at the word of God, when you hear about this marriage of believers with unbelievers, does it make you rent your mantle, at least in your heart? Does it make you understand the evil and see it as a transgression? Or do you see it as something that is not consequential? It is a sin to marry unbelievers. It is a sin. But what do we do? Perhaps you find yourself in such a situation now. Don't worry, the case is not hopeless. Your life and eternal destiny is an individual thing. You must not go where your wife is going. You must not go where your husband is going. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 13 tells us how to deal with it. And the woman which has an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to deal with her, let her not leave him. And if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. So don't separate. You can, in that situation, continue in the fear of God. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 175, paragraph 1, tells us, He who has entered the marriage relation while unconverted, and maybe becomes converted later, is by his conversion. So if you convert, is by his or her conversion placed under strong obligation to be faithful to his companion, however widely they may differ in regard to religious faith. Yet, the claims of God should be placed above every earthly relationship, even though trials and persecution may be the result. But with the spirit of love and meekness, this fidelity may have an influence to win the unbelieving one. But the marriage of Christians with the ungodly is forbidden in the Bible. The Lord's direction is be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So, are you married to an unbeliever? Conduct yourself in love, meekness, faithfulness towards your spouse. Let the grace of thoughtfulness and tender care win the heart of your spouse over to God. Don't separate. God does not counsel you to separate from your spouse. Remain there and show them a godly example. Who knows? You may or may not, we don't know, be an instrument to transform the life of that your spouse. But be sure to understand that even though the claims of the marriage relation makes you have uh, an obligation towards your spouse you have a stronger obligation towards god the claims of god is should be placed above that of your husband or your wife and so someone is listening and saying oh speak on i wish my brother was here to hear this thing i'll share this with my sister the lord is talking to you while you are thinking of your brother and your sister the lord is talking to you Yes, he's talking to that your brother and sister, but you also. And you may be saying to yourself, Oh, people who are marrying unbelievers, look at them. Remember, you are not more spiritual than Abraham, or Solomon, or David, or Samson, or the men before the flood. They fell into this trap, and so can I, and so can you. So, be careful how you look at people when you see that they are marrying unbelievers. It can also happen to you. We need to pray for God to protect us. Solomon loved the Lord. You, today, perhaps you love the Lord. When he was old, later on, even before he was old, he started to marry unbelievers. And later on, when he was old, departed from God. Today, you love the Lord. Today, I love the Lord. Tomorrow, it may be that I also can fall in that trap and marry an unbeliever. We need to pray so that the devil will not entangle us in these relationships that will destroy us. Restore people in the spirit of meekness. This message is for all of us and may God help us that we do not fall into this trap that destroys people's lives of marrying unbelievers. Amen. Amen. Thank you for those words. The text again says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers 
For what fellowship had righteousness with unrighteousness? You see, when animals are yoked, they are belted together. There is a belt, a log attached to both animals, maybe of equal strength or height. They tie them together so that when they move, they don't pull apart. Their strength combined are to pull the cart or the log behind them so they move in the same direction. So marriage yokes people together. You cannot pull apart. But if it's an unbeliever, it won't be long before the visions becomes known. There will be two visions, division, division. One person will want to go left and the other go right. You see the problem now in our society. What fellowship had righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion had light with darkness? It went on to say, what concord had Christ with Belial? In other words, there are two fathers now. Christ is our father. God is our father. And then we are his children. Believers are supposed to be God's children. Unbelievers, well, they have their father, Belial, who is a representative of Satan. So if you get married to an unbeliever, you make Satan your father-in-law. And she counsels that if you must have a home where the shadows are never lifted, then go ahead and get married to an unbeliever. I warn you, she says, to guard, to be guarded, as to where you bestow your affections. I warn you, my sisters, all that your night conversations and clandestine meetings and your phone and all the places that you arrange to meet with these people, they are trying to steal your affections. You're placing your affections in the wrong place. Guard where you bestow your affections. Judges chapter 14 verse 3. Then his father, talking about Samson now, then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleased me well. Oh, my brothers, she pleased me well. The externals keep looking about, looking around and looking at her body, her form and reason. We lost sight of reason. She pleased me well. How many are pursuing the same cause as did Samson? How often marriages are formed between the godly and the ungodly because inclination governs in the selection of husband or wife. The parties do not ask counsel of God nor have his glory in view constantly. Christianity ought to have a controlling influence upon the marriage relation, but it is too often the case that the motives which lead to this union are not in keeping with Christian principles. You see, there is a secret to marriage. God instituted marriage. Now today, he is excluded in the marriages contracted. Everybody gets married. Atheist, people that doesn't believe in him, just get married. But I don't even realize that God was the one who instituted it. A marriage was supposed to work in a spiritual environment. Designed to work for spiritual people. And because everybody now thinks if you're old enough to get married, just go ahead. And then you see now that the statistic shows that 50% of the marriages contracted today ends in divorce. That's the world statistics. But heaven statistics says that not but one in a hundred are happy marriages. Adventist Home, page 70 says, If there is any subject that should be considered with calm reason and impassioned judgment, it is a subject of marriage. If ever the Bible is needed as a counselor, it is before taking a step that binds persons together for life. But the prevailing sentiment is that in this matter the feelings are to be the guide. And in too many cases, love sick sentimentalism takes the herm and guards to certain ruin. It's, it is here that the youth shows less intelligence than on any other subject. It is here that 
they refuse to be reasoned with. The question of marriage seems to have a bewitching power over them. They do not submit themselves to God. Their senses are enchanted and they move forward in secretiveness as if fearful that their plans will be interfered with by someone. Oh, many are sailing in a dangerous harbor. They need a pilot, but they scorn to accept the much-needed help, feeling that they are competent to guide their own back, and not realizing that it is about to strike a hidden rock that may cause them to make shipwreck of faith and happiness. Unless they are diligent students of that word, the Bible, they will make grave mistakes which will mar their happiness and that of others, both for the present and the future life. Oh, how many have made shipwreck of marriages. You see wrecks, ships wrecks of marriages strewn along the coast of life. Many big weddings that have been contracted are not sailing anymore. To avoid all this, God's counsel is do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You see, some men are very crafty. Adventist Home, chapter 65, it says, page 65, it says, At first, the unbelieving one may make no show of opposition in the new relation, but when the subject of Bible truth is presented for attention and consideration, the feeling at once arises. You married me, knowing that I was what I am. I do not wish to be disturbed. From henceforth, let it be understood that conversation upon your peculiar views is to be interdicted. If the believer should manifest any special earnestness in regard to his faith, it might seem like unkindness towards the one who has no interest in the Christian experience. To connect with an unbeliever is to place yourself on Satan's ground. You grieve the Spirit of God and forfeit His protection. Can you afford to have such terrible odds against you in fighting the battles for everlasting life? Can two walk together except they be agreed? If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that shall, that you shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. But how strange the sight! While one of those who closely, so closely united is engaged in devotion, the other is indifferent and careless. While one is seeking the way to everlasting life, the other is on the broad road to death. Hundreds have sacrificed Christ and heaven in consequence of marrying unconverted persons. Can it be that the love and fellowship of Christ are so, of so little value to them that they prefer the companionship of poor mortals. Is heaven so little esteemed that they are willing to risk its enjoyment for one who has no love for the precious Savior? Ask yourself, will it not be labor loss? Will not an unbelieving husband lead my thoughts away from Jesus? He is a love of pleasure more than a love of God. Will he not lead me to enjoy the things that he enjoys? The path to eternal life is steep and rugged. Take no additional weights to retard your progress. The heart yearns for human love, but this love is not strong enough or pure enough or precious enough to supply the place of the love of Jesus. Only in her Savior can the wife find wisdom, strength, and grace to meet the cares, responsibilities, and sorrows of life. She shall make him her strength and her guide. Let woman give herself to Christ before giving herself to any earthly friend, and enter into no relation which shall conflict with these. Those who will find true happiness must have the blessings of heaven upon all that they possess and all that they do. It is disobedience to God that fills so many hearts with homes, so many hearts and homes with misery. My sister, unless you will have a home where the shadows are never lifted, do not unite yourself with one who is an enemy of God. Adventist Home page 66.
67. Now from all we've just read, we discover that in the Christian world, there is such an alarming, astonishing indifference to the teachings of God's word in regard to the marriage issue, the marriage of Christians with believers and unbelievers. Many who profess to love and fear God choose to follow the bent of their own minds rather than take counsel of infinite wisdom in a matter which vitally concerns the happiness and well-being of both parties for this world and the next reason and judgment and the fear of God are set aside and blind impulse stubborn determination are allowed to control men and women who are otherwise sensible and conscientious close their ears to counsel they are deaf to the appeals and entreaties of friends and kindreds and of the servants of God. The expression of a caution or warning is regarded as impenitent meddling, and the friend who is faithful enough to utter a remonstrance is treated as an enemy. All this is as Satan will have it. He weaves his spell about the soul and it becomes bewitched, infatuated. Reason lets fall the reins of self-control upon the neck of lust. Unsanctified passion bears sway until too late the victim awakens to a life of misery and bondage. This is not a picture drawn by the imagination, but a, rec a recital of facts. God's sanction is not given to unions which he has expressly forbidden. God's commands are plain. The Lord commanded ancient Israel not to intermarry with the idolatrous nations around them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Our brother told us about it. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son. Nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. The reason is given, infinite wisdom foreseeing the result of such unions declares, for they will turn away thy son from following me. Friends, did you know that marriage has two things, can be a blessing or a curse? The curse of God rests upon many of the ill-timed, inappropriate connections that are formed in this age of the world. If the Bible left these questions in a vague, uncertain light, then the cause that many youth of today are pursuing in their attachment for one another will be more excusable. But the requirements of the Bible are not halfway injunctions. They demand perfect purity of thought, of word, and of deed. We are grateful to God that His word is a light to the feet and that none need mistake the path of duty. The young should make it a business to consult its pages and heed its counsels, for sad mistakes are always made in departing from its precepts. Beloved, this issue is one that we are to consider prayerfully, for Satan is bringing people and he's throwing people at you that will lie directly across the road to life. You understand that it is like two roads here. Have you seen a roadblock where cars are parked? Nobody's coming in, nobody's going out. That's what Satan is doing today with marriages, roadblocks. And another illustration can be that marriage is like somebody helping you or you're helping somebody, both of you are helping each other in climbing up a ladder to God. That's what the believer's marriage should be like. But when you unite with an unbeliever, it's like one dragging the other into a well. And, and you understand that the well is deep. The fourth volume of the Testimony 503 says, We are living in the last days when the mania upon the subject of marriage constitutes one of the signs of the near coming of Christ. God is not consulted in these matters. Religion, duty, and principles are sacrificed to carry out the promptings of the unconsecrated heart. There should be no great display and rejoicing over the unions of the parties. 
there is not one marriage in 100 that results happily that bears the sanction of God and places the parties in a position better to glorify him the evil consequences of poor marriages are numberless they are contracted from impulse a candid review of the matter is scarcely thought of and consultation with those of experience is considered old-fashioned impulse and unsanctified passion exist in the place of pure love many imperil their own souls and bring the curse of god upon them by entering into the marriage relation merely to please the fancy i have been shown the cases of some who profess to believe the truth who have made a great mistake by marrying unbelievers the hope was cherished by them that the unbelieving party will embrace the truth but after this his object is gained he is further from the truth than before and then begin the subtle workings the continued efforts of the enemy to draw away the believing one from the faith many are now losing their interest and confidence in the truth because they have taken unbelief in close connection with themselves they breathe the atmosphere of doubt of questioning of infidelity they see and hear unbelief and finally they cherish it some may have the courage to resist these influences but in many cases their faith is imperceptibly undermined and finally destroyed Satan has then succeeded in his plans he has walked through his agents so silently that the barriers of faith and truth have been swept away before the believing ones have had any thought of where they are drifting where they were drifting what more can be read we come to the point where Paul would say finally brethren i commend you unto the lord we have god's counsel to guide us so that we may not make mistakes you understand that every tear we shed in the marriage every sigh every grief vibrates to the heart of god he is pained by the decisions we make because we will not reason stop thinking about what it will cost you to break off that relationship because it will not please god think about him we don't we are not supposed to be that selfish if you refuse to break your heart now you will break more hearts later don't you know that whenever marriages break even marriages contracted by the world when it breaks a lot of people are hurt children parents friends we've been told in one of our writings that whenever a believer is going down this step where the lord is not leading that the angel will fly back to heaven and consult with the father and plead on the behalf of that strange soul and the angels and God will send another mighty angel to come and plead with that one try to draw that one back to the path of peace and righteousness and happiness and so when there no wonder why it says when the person turns when he repents or she repents there is joy in heaven beloved may we not cause grief in heaven by our decisions especially when it concerns this one of marriage may we take the counsels of god as it reads straight from the pages for our soul salvation is a stick may god help us trust in him explicitly amen let us pray our lord and father we continue in thanksgiving and praise unto thee thou alone art god and besides thee there is no other we thank you o lord for wonders of redeeming grace you concern with every thing that affects us even the choices we make you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness that we may glorify you you've ordained marriage to show the world what a sample of what heaven will be the unity and the love and friendship and togetherness and fellowship that should exist in the marriages but when we look around today that's not what we see 
but we thank you for your word and so we thank you that that there is hope but our request today is that we give ourselves over to you first that we unite with you first that we be true believers in your word that we learn to live by every word and then we leave our the results in your hands this is our prayer to Christ our lord amen <music>